In this episode, we sit down with Ange Branca, owner and chef of Sate Kampar on East Pashyung. Ange tells her story of growing up in a small village in Malaysia and coming to the States to pursue a career in business, unable to find any authentic Malaysian restaurants in the area, and growing disinterested with the corporate world. She decided to drop out, gather a bunch of family recipes, and open a traditional Malaysian restaurant in South Philly. Philly Mag considers Sate Kampar a top 50 restaurant, and previous the Philly Blunt guest inquirer writer and food critic Craig Laban said of Sate Kampar, there are a few places in the city where crossing the threshold is like traveling across the globe. Sate Kampar is one. Sate Kampar was also a James Beer semifinalist for Best New Restaurant in the Country in 2017. We have a special guest host sitting in on this one because Reef couldn't make it. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. We can't stress how important that is to show your support. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all as The Philly Blunt. We hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Shiny Good Times. Hey, this is Greg. And we have a special guest co-host this week. Reef not able to make it, so instead we've got the one, the only, Fergie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move over, Reef. Yeah. Reef, yeah. I hope you're listening in at home. That's right. You're missing it all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if, if, if you do a great job tonight, we're firing Reef, you're in. So don't don't screw this up. All right. Once you don't fire Greg, he seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> they, they can't record this without I me. I know. That's the problem. Trust me. We would have fired him yeah, a long, long ago. time ago if, if, we, if we had any other way of recording. All right. So uh, we've got a uh, great guest this week. Uh, we're excited to have her on the show. Uh, Ange Branca. Is that pronounced correctly? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Ange, Angie. Angie Branca. Angie Branca. Okay. Uh, we've got Angie Branca, owner and chef of Sate Kampar. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, you did. All right, nice. Man, he's right. on it. Well, my name is Fergie. Fer- Fergie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Messed that one up. Go yeah. on. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the show. You opened the restaurant along with your husband, John, what, three years ago? About three and a half years ago, yeah, 2016. Okay, yeah. and that was a pretty big jump for you. You had started in the corporate world and uh, kind of came into the... Uh, restaurant biz with not much restaurant experience. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. My entire career was in the corporate world. I worked for Deloitte, I worked for Fujitsu, and then I worked for IBM for quite a while. I climbed up the corporate ladder, went all the way up to the corporate ladder and discovered, you know what, I don't quite fit in here. And then I decided the restaurant is probably where I fit in the best. And I totally enjoyed it. So, you know, decided to open a restaurant. Um, seems crazy. Everyone told told me that I lost my mind or was going through a crisis or something like that. But did, did you have any restaurant experience? No. <laughs> you were crazy. It <laughs> yeah. paid off, though. <laughs> oh, well, I so the thing, though, is I did know how to cook. And I did know how to cook the cuisine that I grew up with very well. Sure, but lots of people know how to cook. Cooking and running a restaurant are two very different things, right? Yeah, I knew exactly what I was getting into. I knew the kind of work that's required to run a restaurant. I have family members in Malaysia who have run a restaurant or run street food carts uh, back home. And ever since I was a kid, I was always helping um, some of my family members who ran restaurants and street food carts. and, And I understand what that kind of work is like. So, um, you know, the only difference that I, um, the only thing that I had to learn here 
Um, it's not so much of the work of running the restaurant. It's just you know the the health codes here. And the, the, uh, the what? The health codes, the health department oh. codes here. The bureaucracy. Yeah, that part too. And, you know, all the licensing and stuff like that. And once I figured that out, I, I pretty much know how to make the food, run the food, and how to operate the restaurant. Which, the good thing though about the restaurant that I did... Um, that Sate Kampar, it is an, a pretty authentic Malaysian restaurant. So um, if you come in, you notice that the service is as if you traveled halfway around the world because that's the only service I knew. The food is just like you have traveled to Malaysia because that's the only food I knew how to cook. Right. So I wasn't trying to change anything. I wasn't trying to adapt to what I think Americans want. I just did what I knew. And, and I think that's that's why I was able to succeed in what I did because it's a restaurant of where I came from, not what I think that Americans would want. And I think that's that's what made it successful. Is that a tough is that a tough decision though? Because obviously you're you have to cater to a customer, and most of your customers are going to be Americans. And we're in Philadelphia, where people have very strong opinions about things. Were you? at all scared that oh they might want an Americanized version of Malaysian food oh yeah oh John and I talked so much about what we might face and and the challenges we might have and we yeah we had all those challenges we had um, you know when we first opened Satay Kampar see in Malaysia you know when someone orders Satay um, the menus will will just look at the menus will will be just Satay per six and and we didn't realize that you know in Malaysia most people would be expected to order you know sticks by the dozen to eat because that's considered the center of the meal when you go to a satay place that's what you really want to eat it's a lot of satays and my brother and I used to eat 20 36 per person but when we first opened the doors we didn't realize that that culture doesn't translate here and and a lot of people were coming in just to order one stick to share for, between two people, like you know, it's be like a couple, and 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 one couple will be biting half a stick and sharing the other half with the other couple. And I look at that, I'm like, uh, how, how are we gonna, you know, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna translate this? Pen kids, pen kids. Oh yeah. yeah. Kids. yeah. So let's say there's somebody listening and they don't know what satay is. Could you explain it to us? Yep, sure. Yeah, satay is. Marinated meat, uh, usually small little pieces of meat that's really well marinated and spice. Um, sometimes it's spice and sugar and, and or spice and salt, and and it's always grilled on coconut shell charcoal in Malaysia, and uh, and and the reason we grill them on coconut shell charcoal mainly because it's the natural fuel that we have in Malaysia, but it's also a smokeless charcoal. So the aroma of satay is the whole experience of waiting for your meal as well. The, the aroma is almost like spice incense that's enveloping the, the, the restaurant and, and also the, the skewers. The skewers do not, do not have a smokiness to it because we don't use American wood, so it doesn't have that smokiness. And, and coconut shell charcoal enhances the smoke and the aroma of the spices. So that's what satay is. It's always eaten with peanut sauce. And our peanut sauce is made from scratch. It's not peanut butter. It's not a paste. It's actually kind of like a gravy that you would put on top of satay and, and that's how we eat satay. Do you have a hard time finding the um, coconut charcoal here? Uh, yeah, we are the only ones in the U.S. 
cooking on coconut shell charcoal, so I import it every year. Wow. We bring it in from the first few batches were from Malaysia. Sometimes we get a stuff from India, but so, yeah, we, it's hard to sauce it. Hmm. So now in the restaurant, uh, if I order a satay, then uh, how many? skewers do I get? How many sticks do I get? Uh, now, now we sell them by five sticks or ten sticks just to just to get the message across okay. you know, minimum five sticks per person would be reasonable way of enjoying satay and not half a stick for me and <laughs> half a stick for you. Right. <laughs> I think um, you, you're out of business real fast and everyone's <laughs> just sharing one stick. Yeah, yeah but it was a quick, uh, you know, we learned a lot of lessons because it was for me, it was about how, how do I translate my culture here? And it's something that I was not aware of when, when we first opened our doors because there are a lot of cultural differences that I took for granted and I just assumed that people would eat the same way I would if I served this kind of food and I realized that no, I mean it's not many people would understand how to eat this kind of food the way I would just you know assume. I mean, for example, rendang and rice. And, and you know we serve rice and we serve lao lao uh, um, meat dishes like curries and rendang and, and vegetable dishes. And in Malaysia, um, when we order a rice plate, it is our own rice plate. We don't share our rice plates, right? right. So everyone orders a rice plate for themselves. And the lao, which is the protein and the vegetables, is always a shareable dish, and we always have that in the middle of the table. So we just take a spoonful of that and eat with our plate of rice. But what I noticed here in America, without anyone explaining to them, the rice would be in the middle of the table and everyone has your own plate of rendang. <laughs> or own bowl of rendang because, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the culture here. Right, and rice right. is always a yeah. side dish. We want the meat. the meat. Give us the meat. Yeah. Give us the meat yeah. up front. <laughs> you should get a little ruler and start wrapping people on the knuckles when yeah. they're doing things wrong. Yeah, but this is this is things that you know I, I never knew before, and, and it's a cultural difference. And, and and you know, for us to gradually over the last three years, trying to explain to customers this is how we eat, creating a menu for them, or suggesting a menu, for, suggesting a menu which is truer to the way that we would approach this food. Eventually, that were those you know those kind of. Um, uh, word spread and, and customers will bring new friends and they will tell them about the way of eating at a restaurant and over time it has changed but when, right. when we started it was challenging. So are you, are you having to sort of, is your goal to sort of tell a story as much as it is to serve the food? I mean you're obviously, you obviously have to let people know that this isn't just, you know, a, People, when they think of that region, I think probably think more of Thai food, right? Because that's yeah. more, that, that's a larger, there's just more Thai restaurants in Philadelphia than there are Malaysian restaurants. Yeah. So you have to kind of explain to people that it is a different style of cuisine? Yes, we always have to. Because, you know, when people walk into our restaurant, it can get very confusing. They, they would see Chinese words mm -hmm. and, and they would think that we are Chinese restaurants. So they would walk in and ask for chopsticks and fried rice and we don't... We won't give anybody any chopsticks unless we are serving a noodle dish, mm. and we have no fried rice on our menu. And and the word kampar is written in Chinese, so a lot of people think that we are a Chinese restaurant. And and the other thing too is everyone thinks that Asian food is supposed to be crazy spicy, but not all Asian food is crazy spicy. We have a pretty, you know, we have a very well balanced level of spice. You feel the heat, but you're not gonna cry when you mm. eat it. Right. And and it. Um, I cry. <laughs> Fergie, you cry. I'll, I'll give you some milk. 
the sea yelpers. What kind of place is this? I want chopsticks. I can't eat rice with a fork. Yeah. Oh. I hated that place. There was some hairy Irishman crying across the table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, eating rice with a fork and weeping. The Campar is named after the region you grew up in. Is that right? It's a town. It's a small little town uh, north of the capital. Um, and and Kampar was a tin mining town um, and in, in, in its state of Para. So my family were tin miners and we were originally from China. I'm, I am the fifth generation Chinese immigrant in Malaysia. And it ended up in Kampar because there was a point in time where tin mine in Malaysia was a huge industry. And, and I think historically Malaysia still produces the largest amount of tin. And, and when Malaysia was part of the British colony, um, you know, the, the British companies who own a lot of the lands would bring in laborers from China to work on the mines. And my family came at that time to work on the mines. And Kampar, the, the name Kampar directly translates to golden treasure. And, and it means um, to the Chinese people, that's where they found your wealth. So, so that's that's it's a tiny little sleepy town. Um, like how big? What's the population? Oh my God! I think uh, in my in my parents' time, it was just one street with two rows of shop houses, and wow. everyone knew everybody. Mm. And and even today, when I have um, um, sometimes their customers who see the name Kampar in a restaurant, Malaysians from Canada and all over US when they see that name they will try to come in if they are, they are somehow associated with the town Kampar and they would look for me and they would tell me oh my mom or my dad or my grandpa was from Kampar I would take a picture of them I get the grandpa's name I text it back to my family and I say oh yeah we know them <laughs> <laughs> and that's how small the town is um, yeah but it's a it's also a very so historical say, town you're trying to say you're Irish is that enough? Uh, yeah, very close <laughs> yeah and it's also very Kampar is also a very historical town because um, during World War II it was the town that was called to war to defend the Japanese from progressing into the capital, mm. and and that was uh, and so that was like a big kind of like Valley Forge. There was a big mm. you know incident there, and so that that made Kampar a pretty historical area right now. So is that is that a the tin mining, I guess, is the thing that it's most associated with even now, even though that's moved on. What, what is the, are there like restaurants and so forth there now? Or what's the, no, what's the town more like now? No, well, for the longest time, it was a dead town just full of old people, our grandfathers was, who were there. And there was nothing there because the whole place is mined out. There is there's no more tin mining industry in that area anymore. And, and when there's no more tin mining industry and when the tin price dropped, Everyone had to flat Kampar to, to survive. There was nothing going on. So that's where my dad moved to Kuala Lumpur. I grew up in a big city. I grew up in Kuala Lumpur because my dad was the first in the family okay. who had to move out to the big city for a job, for, mm. for a career. And, and all the older people were left behind in Kampar. So, so were, you very, were you very young when you moved to the big city? I was, yeah, I was two years old. Okay. Now, can yeah. I ask you, did you move to the United States as a child or as an adult? As an adult, I moved in 2000, so I was already working in, in Asia Pacific for many years before I moved here. And so, so I know you said you are in uh, corporate America. Were you in finance? I did graduate with accounting degree. Yeah, I was in, I was in consulting, okay. but with, with more you know, business strategy and finance. What was it like when you, did, when you gave your notice? Did you just say you were quitting to start a restaurant? So you told like your, your boss? Um, 
No, I mean, I was... At the end of my career at at, at IBM, I was already told to like, hey, I don't fit in. And I had to make the decision of whether I want to continue to work or not. So I didn't have to tell my boss anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I just don't fit the mold. Um, I... You know, it's one of those things where, as as an Asian um, daughter, or I think a lot of people tell me it's the same as being Jewish. You know, you kind of do what your parents expect you to do. You go to school, you get your degree, you go up the career ladder, you do everything that you are expected to do. And and then sometimes, you know, like for me, I went all the way up to the top of the career ladder. I was a partner at IBM, and I was the. I mean, I looked around the partnership table every time and I don't see anyone like myself and and I just realized that I just don't fit into that culture at all and, and that's when I have to make a decision like, do I want to stay here or I, it took me a long time so after mm. I left my corporate job it took me about a year mm. of trying to figure out if I really really want to do the restaurant but the more the more I got into it the more I, I talked about it with John um, of course, you know, being a business strategist that I am, the first thing I did was to write an entire business strategy together. So I've got a 20-page business strategy for the restaurant just to figure out if I can actually financially make it right. and what those strategies and what the plans would be. So I've like planned out everything for the next five years, 10 years, budgeted everything out. And, and it made me realize that I could actually do it. And, and then I just came to a realization of like how lucky would it be if I'm actually at the position to do something that I actually have a passion in. Right. And I don't think many people get that chance. A lot of us we do what we are told to do, but you know, and, and a lot of us are stuck in a corporate job because of financial responsibilities. Right. John and I have none. We are like we have no kids. Mm, who is this John character you keep referencing? <laughs> John is sitting right next to John me here. Sitting Nobody can see you. Who, who is this guy and what's he do? John's my husband. All right. And he's also his partner in the restaurant and he runs the front of house. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, where, when did you guys meet? When did you and John meet? We met in 2000 when I came here. Oh, wow. You weren't messing around. He was just at the airport waiting. <laughs> <laughs> That's her. Hey, hey. <laughs> You moved here in 2000 and met John the same year. The same year. All right. All right. I don't know. I was looking for something to do outside outside my four walls in the in the office. So I went rock climbing, and John was managing uh, the rock climbing gym with his brother. And you know, I was by myself um, at that time, and I didn't have anyone to belay me. And John came out to belay me, and I thought, well, this is nice. This this rock climbing service is, is this type fantastic. Of talk aloud on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all the kids are calling it belay now. <laughs> so, so was John showing off? Was he, like, climbing to the highest points of the gym? No, he just can't belay <laughs> I'll me. catch you, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the here's the other thing, though, like... Back those days, right? When you when you drive out of the airport, so the the service that we had at Deloitte for foreigners were, is not like how you would get in Asia. In Asia, if you were a foreigner and you arrived in Malaysia, we would make sure that you get a chauffeur or somebody, someone would meet you at the airport and, and take you to the to the office. 
on my first day here, it was um, Yahoo Maps, I think, uh, and, and instructions on where to pick up my rental car and drive myself to work. And, uh, and that was in, in Chatsford. So I had to drive down 95 South to Chatsford. And, and mind you, in Malaysia, we drive on the other side of the road. Oh, that's so, so confusing. And in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and in Scotland. We right. drive, so I've never, drew, I've never driven on the, this side of the road before in my life. The right side, the, the, yeah, the, correct, the correct way, side. the yeah, right yeah. side. It's, it's the yeah, wrong yeah. side. Yeah, you guys <laughs> and the Irish, you guys yeah. with your crazy <laughs> driving, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I came out of um, the airport on I-95. <laughs> it was 4 a.m. at that time, 4 a.m. in the morning, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just take a, a slow drive. <laughs> and I was driving, slow drive on 95, for five minutes at 4 a.m. in the morning on the opposite side of I-95. No. Uh, what? Okay, for literally five minutes, there were no cars. So I didn't know. I didn't have a point of view. And I got on the I-95 on the opposite side. And five minutes later, I see this light from a distance. And it got nearer and nearer to me. And I was like, why, why is this car coming so near to me? And that was when I realized, oh, shit. Wow. And, and it's like planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky. You're lucky it was so early in the morning when you got here. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to pull aside. Um, I... I was just shaken at that time, sure. but, you know, but was able to compose myself. And then after that, trying to figure out, like, how do I make a U-turn <laughs> on I-95 and drive back? Right. And then when I make it, I don't know if you remember that time, but near the airport, the minute you come out of the airport, there was this big, huge pile of garbage, like metal scraps. Oh, yeah. Welcome, you know welcome, there. welcome to Philly. Welcome to Philadelphia. That, that was a welcoming sign. I was expecting palm trees. <laughs> I was expecting palm trees, yeah. and I got this big, like, huge... Like, we're the yeah. lifeguards. <laughs> All I see is smashed up cars. Yeah, smashed up cars, a metal junkyard. And, and then, like, um, you know, almost killing myself, and that's when I realized, holy shit, where am I? Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It it did not it did not sink in. Um, you know what, uh, what what Philly is and, and the impression that I had of America before I came here. It just did not match up. It took a while for yeah, me yeah, to I figure suspect. it out. Yeah, it probably shook you up a little bit. My, my, my ex has a saying about Philadelphia that, like, yeah, it should be, stick around, it gets better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Philly, it gets better. It, it actually did. It actually did. And, and there, was a great, there was a great billboard in the 70s that said, Philadelphia, it's not as bad as Philadelphians say it is. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when you moved here in 2000, there weren't really that many restaurants. I mean, just in general. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, you've been here for the whole boom do you think that that boom is part of what inspired you to go into restaurants it is it is i still remember when i first came here looking for a taste of home there was nothing there was nothing here at all and chinese food here in 2000 was horrible it was bad i still remember eating chinese food for the first time here and i'm like what is this this is not chinese food even to in me. chinatown even in Chinatown, it wasn't the Chinese food that I knew, um, and and a lot has changed, and the availability of ingredients and the quality of ingredients has increased so much in actually I think in the last ten years, and I think because of immigration. Mm -hmm. In the last ten years, I think we we had a lot of 
especially Southeast Asian immigrants here. And the diversity of immigrants here is what made the food scene so much better because they brought ingredients that was never available here. I think 20 years ago, we would not have, like I would not have access to all the Malaysian spices that I need to use in a restaurant today. Without that, I would not know how to cook the kind of food that I cook today at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't know how to find it. Like, you know, when, when, when we first opened a restaurant three years ago, it was still challenging to find like, like banana leaves, like fresh green banana leaves. So it, it wasn't even available here. We actually created a market for fresh green banana leaves um, three and a half years ago, bringing it up from Florida, bringing it up from Mexico, and then now we could actually have, have it here in the city. And um, there were so many um, ingredients that were not available, if not for the Vietnamese community here that's just growing and they became you know, owners of like, small little community farms that we buy a lot of our herbs from. Hmm. So, um, yeah, are, so Are they in the city? Uh, yeah, some of them are in yeah. the city. Some of them are out in Lancaster. Hmm. Uh, one of the farms that we work with, um, Brazilian Roots, they are in Camden. It's a Camden community. It's the West Camden community that comes together to grow Southeast Asian herbs hmm. for a restaurant every summer. So, uh, speaking of that, you talked about you know there being different cultures and stuff. You have something that's called, I think, Muhiba. Is that pronounced right? Yeah, Muhiba. Uh, you have these Muhiba dinners. Tell us a little bit more about what that word means, because I thought it was really interesting, and it doesn't translate easily into English, right? Right. Um, so, Muhiba in the Malay language means people of multiple cultures and race coming together in peace and tolerance. And is that a thing in Malaysia? Is it fairly accept- accepting of various cultures? It is. It has been that way since the 13th century and the 14th century. And historically, Malaysia is built with multiple cultures. Um, since the 13th century, Malaysia and the port of Malacca was the hub of the spice trade. And the spice trade brought people from the east and the west um, and, and the, everyone met in Malaysia. The, the Chinese sailed down to Malacca to trade, and the Portuguese and the Spaniards and the Dutch sailed east to look for spices. And, and they brought um, the Indians along the way, and they came to Malaysia as well to trade. So, so it has always been very diverse since the 14th century. And when I came to Philly, I felt that Philly has all these elements of diversity just like Malaysia has. But very few events or very few occasions where that diversity actually comes together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I, when I um, started to get a lot of accolade from my restaurant about three years ago, that was the first thing I wanted to do was to figure out how to bring diversity together through food. And I started Muhiba Dinner with a good friend of mine, um, Anita Davidson, who actually lives across the street from the restaurant and we knew each other from... Um, from her coming into the restaurant often. What's her name? Anita Davidson, and um, and so she she um, she became the you know founded the whole concept of Muhiba, and she was the director of the Muhiba dinner series. And just the two of us started the first dinner series, bringing so I brought together um, six different chefs, and the mayor came to launch the whole thing. And uh, we would we would sell tickets for the event. It costs about $120 per seat. Every chef is asked to cook a dish that talks about their heritage. And I will make sure that in that, that night, 
you know, we, we won't have um, chefs of the same heritage in, 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 the, in, in one night's dinner. So um, it's always served family style. And at the table, you would find this food, this heritage food that, um, that means a lot to each one of these chefs, which you would never find in any restaurant. Because so many of us would cook very differently. Our grandmothers would cook very differently at home and you would not find that in a restaurant. And it's a very special dinner that way. We come together and taste all these, these flavors from all around the world and the proceeds from the dinner goes towards um, immigrants and refugees. So do you ever get back to Malaysia? I do. I used to go back home almost every year. Since I opened a restaurant, it has been really challenging going back. So yeah. I just went back this January. It was the first time in three years. Wow. I haven't seen my family, so it's been a so while. Are your, both your parents still around? My mom's not around anymore. Okay. My dad's still in Malaysia. My dad would not fly here. <laughs> no? <laughs> and any siblings? Yeah, my brother. And one brother? Yeah, one brother. I've got a brother. And he's, he's in Malaysia, too. Has he been to the restaurant? No, none of my... Well, only my cousin is the only one who's been to the restaurant um, a couple of weeks ago. She was the first person in my family who's been to the restaurant. Were you stressed out over it? Like, making sure the food was on point? Yeah, I was stressed out over it because, you know, my family is real worried about me running a restaurant. Um, and, and, and they, you know, I, I wanted to show them that it's okay. They don't have too much to worry about. But, but a lot of them are really worried about me running the restaurant because they, they just, I think they just can't understand why I would give up my corporate job and do it. So, you know. Um, right. But then when, when my cousin saw um, the restaurant and, and that it was actually busy and I'm not sleeping on the streets, oh, right. <laughs> right. Um, she, was, she felt a little better. But it's still, it's still hard work and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a really, really big change in terms of physical mm. hard work compared to right, sure. my other career. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, do you still love it? I still love it. Yeah. I feel that there is so much that satisfies me as a person and, and in what I do in this phase of my life, running the restaurant, than I actually did in my entire career. Um, I... While my other job, I you know, it's a job that I could do, and I made a lot of money for that. But it's a job. Mm, right. What I do today, I could be so tired at the end of the night, my bones would be hurting at the end of the night, and next morning I wake up and I'm like, I want to do it all over again because mm. I just love it, and I and I enjoy the customers coming in and enjoying the food, and and the other thing too uh, that I I really enjoy is the the sense of community. And, and the sense of charity that the restaurant industry has. Um, we do, the restaurant industry does so much more charity for the people and the community compared to my entire career earning my big bucks, sitting in the office. I never felt as char charitable in my life as I actually feel today mm -hmm. doing what I do. And, and, you know, if there is any situation or any crisis, the people who come together to support and to raise money, it's always the restaurants. Right. It's always the restaurants coming together. Right. And and I've never had that chance before to, to, to do stuff like that. And that is something that really feeds the soul. And that's something that I'm, I'm really, really happy to be part of. Yeah. So do you have any plans for expansion, a second restaurant, something? Uh, 
I don't I don't know the answer about I don't know the answer to that yet. I think about it sometimes. I think we'll about ask what's John. next. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I mean, first of all, I do want to enjoy what I'm doing. I think that I think that sometimes if I do too much, it becomes more of running the place as a business and actually enjoying what right. I'm doing mm-hmm. so so that that becomes a priority I think and that mm-hmm. bigger is not always better yeah yeah that's true I think that I mean if I if I'm gonna run it as a business then I could easily just go back to my business world right right <laughs> right sure yeah um, so I don't know I'm, I, I, first and foremost I, I, I want to I want to do what I'm passionate about mm. and and if that if that means doing more then yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, we want to take it there? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we're going to take it to the blunt. Fergie, if you got any questions, chime in. Here's how it works rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. All right? All right. First thing that comes to your mind. Yep. You ready? Yep, ready. Oh, all right, let's do it. All right, our favorite Malaysian restaurant that's not yours. A favorite Malaysian restaurant? Another Malaysian restaurant in Philly. In Philly? Is there? No. Okay. Can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I go extended Philly, like in New York? Sure. Okay. Mm. We like to yeah, consider New York as extended Philly. Yeah, as greater Philadelphia? <laughs> um, in New York, I do like to go to Kopitiam. I have to say that again. Kopitiam. Kopitiam. To- kopi- kopitiam. Kapitiam, and yeah. where where is that? In it New York? is Which in the uh, low, Lower Manhattan. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. All righty, uh, and then if, hey, 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 we go in turn Rapid fire here, like I'm a, yeah. well, no, I want I want to know about restaurant. Like, so your favorite restaurant in Philly? My favorite restaurant in Philly. What if that was oh. my question next? Well, there you Too go. Too bad, you got to jump in. <laughs> yeah, it's rapid fire. Yeah, this yeah, this is what the Philly Blunt's all about, Craig. Hey, Reef, we've got a job for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we sure do. Yeah, let's get I, you on the I'm going to shut up after this question, Greg, okay? <laughs> Maybe I'll get a beer at the bar. All right, come on, your favorite restaurant. My favorite. Okay, so I, I there's so many restaurants that I like, but one of the things that I'm really passionate about is heritage food, right? And, and people who... Who, who try to bring back food that's lost. So right now, my favorite restaurant to go to is Elwood because it is the lost Philadelphia of lost Pennsylvania food that I've never tasted before Adam opened Elwood. Oh, so I'm really I'm like say it. the word again. Elwood. Elwood? Yep. Where's that at? That is in Fishtown. Huh. It's opened by Adam Dilt, uh, Dilt and he's passion is to bring back the lost cuisine of Pennsylvania. Hmm. Wow. Like turtle soup I, and game and pheasant. Okay. BYO and, and Fishtown. All right, just opened. Yeah, this okay. year. On, fi- on uh, Frankfurt Ave. I, I just, I love heritage food. I love this kind of, I mean, that's, that's really why I opened a restaurant is to try to preserve flavors that I think that would disappear in my in my home country and and adam is trying to do the same thing here in to bring back pennsylvania food that has been lost and before before i tasted his food i had no idea america actually had a food that is actually lost what's your workout song i don't have a workout song or an app okay at bat music if you played major league baseball what would you what would be the song that you'd want to get fired up to when you came up to bat 
I, I don't you have, have any a, music that pumps you no, up? No, I don't. That's John's questions, <laughs> not mine. Ask me about food. <laughs> That's why we are yin and yang. <laughs> John right. does the music in the house. When you come in and you love the music that we play, then it's all John, not me. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys live near your restaurant? No, we live in Central City. We live near here. Okay. Yeah. Favorite movie? Crazy Rage Asians. <laughs> what bad habit are you trying to break? What bad habit am I trying to break? Oh, uh, not going to the gym enough. Like okay. Every day is an excuse. If no. you had a good workout song, so maybe you would. Be at the gym, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe that's that's the reason. <laughs> I don't have a workout song. See. <laughs> So you're saying workout song, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about walk-on song? I guess. <laughs> they, uh, I don't even have a walk-on song. You don't have a, you don't have an at bat music. You have at bat music, right, Fergie? What would you if well, you're playing like baseball? baseball uh, if you're playing baseball, what would your at bat music be? Bat out of hell. Okay, a little meatloaf. Meatloaf. Right. <laughs> I have to say meatloaf. Right. So the, uh, I have a set of headphones. A so, uh, like that I use in the Jeep and they uh, the big has big bass and they uh, and it protects my ears because my Jeep is really noisy and I'm usually driving around. and then like I I, I drive go the half an hour drive to the lake house and my guilty pleasure is listening to all of Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell cranked up you see the they always say like you don't want to meet your idols so I this is a moment here where yeah. Yeah. Fergie's an idol and then I find out he jams out the Meatloaf oh <laughs> <laughs> I see they feel like you know they'll ever oh be honest and then you're honest and then you lose your radio right, gig right. Yeah. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad cause two out of three ain't bad where are you Reef yeah. <laughs> I want you uh, what's so up? Do, do you have a karaoke song? No. Ah, no. Have you done yeah. karaoke? All right, all right. All right we got to get her out to live music karaoke. I first. can. I can. I'm so. I'm so out of tune. I can't. Well, that's oh that's the whole God. fun of karaoke. I mean, Fergie's out Fergie of tune too. Fergie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, you can't get him off the stage. <laughs> What's your Because uh, he's Irish. It's different. I just grew up in I'm Irish I'm just like one of those nuns. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Well, the, the, the nun who taught me was called a singing nun because she wouldn't stop singing. She was the headmistress of the school. What was her name? Sister Anda. Oh, that's my cousin. Sister that's Anna. your cousin. Yeah, she in was Guadalupe. a singing nun. Yeah. She's amazing. I, I love her. Uh, what's, the, she, what's the worst job you ever had? Uh, working at IBM. And tell me, are, are you in touch with any of the nuns? <laughs> In touch? Yeah. Sister Enda is still on Facebook. And does Sister Enda know about your success? No. Oh. <laughs> you gotta let her know. <laughs> maybe I, sh- maybe uh, I will. Uh, well, what about defining success? I know we touched on it earlier on. How would you define success then? Oh, wow. Um, I, I define success not just financially, but, you know, um, I think that the ability or, or getting to a point where you can do what you're passionate about is success because okay. I think it's hard for someone I mean I, I realize now in, in, in my career and my current career change not everyone can get a chance to actually do what you love mm-hmm. the, I, I think about this a lot and I define success as happiness yeah like they, if you're like happy like they know everybody with that I have friends who make a ton of money and they're stressed and miserable and I have yeah, what's I, the I point? You know, you know yeah, us, we're I, happy. I, we yeah. make no money. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Well, so that's you why don't you hang out with, with broke, happy guys like you, me <laughs> You don't deserve the money. You deserve the happiness, Craig. So why like you, a bat out of hell. Oh, here we go. go. So why... Uh, why did you? So we're we're at Fergie's, in case you couldn't tell. Fergie's and, pub. Yeah, which yeah, which got uh, once again super loud, even on yeah, a Tuesday. Thanks for, thanks for telling everybody we were coming. Fergie's yeah, packed right. with people waiting to see us. Yeah, so we got 10th Street Hardware after business. Uh, they had a big meeting. That's their party over there. Hey, over hey there. relax. With, and if they're gonna pay us, you can give them a shout out. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. We, we, hey, Stephen Troy. <laughs> So what made you pick Fergie's? Uh, you know, we always ask our guests, "Where do you want to? Re- where do you want to record?" Uh, you said Fergie's. What was it uh, that made you want to pick this spot? Oh, I, I love Fergie. I love Fergie. Yeah, I love it. That was yeah. John saying that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think they like Jim. Oh, uh, Fergie is amazing. I mean, he's such a charitable guy. Um, I, I still remember when I um, came here a couple of, uh, I think a couple of months ago, was when the Indonesian community um, was, um, uh, you know, raided by the ICE police and Fergie just came together and said, hey, how can we raise money to help the community? And, and that's what Fergie is. I just love everything that he's done for the, for Philly and for the society here. And Fergie, no, don't cry. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and of course, this place is just, you know, it's been here for so long. It's, it's just legendary. She's just, just calling me old. Yeah, now, yeah, Fergie's, <laughs> yeah, Fergie's been around a long time. Legendary. Yeah. He's all over I, Facebook. I have to say, I think. You're a legend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am maxed out on friends on Facebook now. I'm just no, about, yeah. But I have to say, like I think, uh, li- in interviewing Angie and listening to Angie tonight, we are very, 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 very different styles of restaurant management. Like she is, like uh, you know, a year before she opened the restaurant, she had her twenty-page uh, like <laughs> right, breakdown. Right. Uh, I'm in business twenty-five years. I've not finished my business plan. No, no, yet. Still I not finished page one. <laughs> You're like, I know we want to do something Irish. I think no, maybe well, Guinness. I, 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 I I did. My, I wasn't trying to raise money, but my business plan was an essay of just about what I wanted to do, and 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 this is it. And this is like this warm, cozy bar, right. uh, like that. Uh, that'll have a creature named Johnny Good Times use it as his, yeah, as his playground. Up. That's right. So did did you actually write down an essay that say what do you want to do with your life? No, no, what, what I like, it was supposed to be like a sort of business plan, but it was just a gathering of thoughts, but it turned into like an essay. It's like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want it to be warm. I want it to be, I have no TVs. I want to have music. I want to have like the, just blah, blah, blah. Like. Right. And then, Angie, your business plan was 20 pages, very yeah. heavily detailed. Was there like any like. Here's my strategy. Any, what was the most important part of that strategy? Well, the important part of the strategy was, um, well, a few things. The financial part of it, right? Whether or not I can actually afford it, and and how long how long it can sustain. Because I didn't, you know, um, we, when we started, it was just all oh, savings, just trying to figure out how much we can afford. Right. And and then um, and then the concept, and and I figured that you know we we need to really iron out the concept at the beginning because I think that. Many restaurants open with one concept and then they end up changing again yeah. and again and again and and then after a while it just loses its identity. Right. So I think that that um, you know that whole document was to try to solidify what we want a concept to be. Right. So can I can I ask you one really important question? <clears throat> so is uh, David Hasselhoff, or as you know, 
maybe as Mitch Buchanan, hot or not? He's hot. Of course. I think so. Everyone's down with the hop. Yeah, she loves the hop. He's in in my feed today, like I'm doing a Jesus and Mary chain song now. David Hasselhoff. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Well, I I mean, he brought down the Berlin Wall. He brought down the Berlin Wall. (laughs) Yeah, you know about that, right? He did a concert. He did a concert in 89, like on the wall, and like two weeks later, the wall came down. And now Hasselhoff says that he brought down the Berlin Wall. Yeah. True story. Fun fact from the Philly Blunt. (laughs) <laughs> want to thank everybody for listening. Yeah. Fake news, everybody. <laughs> Fake news. I'm trying to good times. I'm Greg. I'm Fergie. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thank you so thank much, you Angie. So much bye Angie. Bye. Thanks, Angie. Later. Thank you. Just the sound of Philadelphia. Brotherly love, brothers covered in blood, the man's office is covered in bugs, the youth dreams cut short. Sweat.